you would remain standing and open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. As we consider and contemplate this great God, He has given us His Word to shape and mold us, to convict us of sin and also His righteousness and grace and goodness and mercy. We'll read the first 19 verses there in Daniel chapter 9. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Beginning in verse 1. In the first year, Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a descent by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, done wrong, and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, returning from, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, 
because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. God, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning that we would be shaped by the prayer of Daniel. If that's going to happen, Lord, your spirit has to be at work. Lord, as we read this incredible confession and plea, show us our need. Reveal our sin and our need for you to save our need for your grace and mercy. And so we also pray that we would see Jesus. Lord, do this for your sake, for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> even, if, even if you don't wear glasses, you, you can probably understand what I'm about to say, but I've worn glasses for a long time. Probably I got them when I was 18. Sometimes my glasses get real dirty, terrible, just covered up. And you know what that's like. Just, suddenly you're just not able to see and everything is foggy. But when it's like that and you give your glasses like a really good cleansing and put them back on, you're like, whoa, I can see again. Like, it's like, um, it would be like lifting a veil, right? Like trying to see something clearly through a veil. You just can't do it. This section of Daniel is kind of like cleaning your glasses. It's getting the, the smudginess off of them. We've talked about his career. We've heard a lot about Daniel. but We forget, I think, I tend to... He's in utter crisis. He's an old man now, but he's lived his life as a refugee from the time he was around 13, 14, 15 years old. Now he's getting close, according to the, the dating here, he's getting close to 80 years old. His life is in crisis. What is it like to see clearly to see what God is up to in the world uh, when you've lived like that. And it's really, truly a re remarkable thing what he is offering us here. Again, put yourself in his shoes, led from your home as a teenager to, to a land that you don't want to go to. And you lost your city. It lies in ruins behind you. 
You have to live your life now in the land and under the thumb and the rule of an enemy. I just wonder what that would, what that would do to you. Would you consider, as Daniel, the, the spiritual realities of his life and the lives of others? It's actually really a convicting thing when you think about it. So we, we've seen various visions um, as we've walked through Daniel, his life being lived in the spiritual realm, as it were. The first vision was this expansion of Nebuchadnezzar's crazy dream where you have these various creatures that are various kingdoms, and we, we talked about um, eventually that being killed by no human hand. Uh, we, we talked about uh, this crazy second vision with the ram with two horns and uh, a male goat like racing across from the west and uh, craziness. A little horn that's evil. And here, I think Daniel 9, this, this part, um, it, it helps us. Because last week we ended with this, and I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose up and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and didn't understand it. Then the next thing we read is this prayer. It's some years later, and you have to wonder how he's processing his life and the appalling nature of what he knows is coming. It's interesting that the next thing that's in here is prayer. Today's text does open a bit later. Belshazzar is now out of the picture. He's dead. This is Darius the Mede. Daniel is, he still has no control in his life. It's easy to forget that as you read this book. It's easy to forget that he, he has no control. What, what do you do when your life is out of control? And it feels like there are beasts everywhere around you. That's what's going on in his life, by the way. These visions come and go and he, he's horrified by the things around him. What do you do when you're so dis, disturbed on the inside that you can't sleep? Daniel... I think he would be ready for the retirement home. Right? Go to assisted living. Take me to the Glen and let me let me end my career. I mean, that's what I would think would be going on with him. But that's not at all what happens. We read in our New Testament text, do not be anxious about anything, but what is the answer in, in the Philippians text to the anxiety of our hearts? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Take all of this reality of this, this life, right, this um, horizontal existence, and go vertical. That's what Daniel 9 is about, ultimately. 
So we're going to talk a lot about um, the confession, but the first thing I want us to see is that he, he's taking this on as an, let's just call him 80, we don't know, somewhere as an 80-year-old refugee who's lived his whole life as an exile, he's taking all of that vertical. He's taking it to God. His fear, his anxiety, his frustration with himself, his, the, the, his confession for his country, he's taking it all to God. Prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, it, it rolls off the tongue, especially out of Philippians 4, super familiar passage. It's way harder in practice. Yeah, pastor, stand up and talk to us about all taking all our anxieties to God in prayer. Good job. Real original. Listen, if, if we would only grasp the realities of what's going on in these texts, Owen and, and John Owen and several others after him have said something like this, quote, what an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is, and no more, end quote. Yeah, McShane said it later too. What a, what a person is on their knees before God, that is who they are and nothing more. We could all agree that Daniel is used mightily in God's kingdom and for his purposes and sometimes it looks pretty wild. His, his ministry looked crazy. I mean, he went into a den of lions for crying out loud. He's done crazy things. He, he's been an advisor to kings. He interprets dreams. He has dreams and visions. But I think this lies more at the, the center of what's going on. It's his prayer life. I think we would all still be utterly bewildered, but in the middle of all these visions, he has clarity. He has insight. He, he, he goes to God to answer his doubts, to answer his anxiety. Daniel knows a lot. He perceives many things. God has given him incredible gifts, no doubt. But those gifts grow and are exercised in his life from the time he was young through prayer. Today we'll see Daniel uh, again praying. This is not the first time. You remember um, his enemies knew exactly where he would be and what time of day he would be there because he was so constant in prayer. We're going to look at the, uh, first the context of this in the first couple of verses, then his confession, which makes up the bulk of it, and then um, his concerns that he is um, sending to God. So first, um, the context. Remember the last vision had him laying in bed. Uh, now he's seen a, a lot already happen. Verses 1 and 2 open with Darius the Mede in the first year of Darius. He, he, go, he goes on to say this, I perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. Seventy years. Daniel is asking a question that we all could rightly ask. How long, O Lord? 
That is a great question. That's good theology. How long? Belshazzar has been weighed by God and found lacking. He's seen the judgment of God against that ruler. And now Darius the Mede is in control. He's, he's an old man. He's, he, again, he's, he's lived his, basically his whole life. He, he lived at home long enough to love it. And then he was taken away. And here he is, an old man, and what, what do you find him doing? This is so interesting. He's reading his Bible. He's in the prophet Jeremiah and praying. What a life. What a convicting thing. No doubt he came across this in Jeremiah 11. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. He's reading Jeremiah's prophecy. And he's saying, that's us. This is for me. This is my country. This is my people. 70 years. A refugee whose life is dedicated to the word of God and to prayer. Something really significant. He, he picks up this, he understands this year thing, but he, right after he says he understands, he prays. There's a huge lesson embedded right here for us. He, he says, I understand from Jeremiah the prophet what's going on here, but then he prays. Do you get it? Calvin says this, although Daniel was an interpreter of dreams, he was not so elated with confidence or pride as to despise the teaching delivered by other prophets. End quote. He sought the Lord in the word and he went to him in prayer. Listen, God's sovereign purposes are never uh, fully revealed. You're not going to open the Bible and read, here's my life. But you know a lot about what God has going on in the world. You read the promises of God in his word all the time. And then you pray about them. It's, it's, it's like this. We know that people are being saved all over the world. We know that God does that. We know that God loves people. And that he sends that love out into the world. But we still pray for it. We still ask the Lord to do the great things that we know that he's already doing. Maybe sometimes that's an issue with our prayer life. Maybe we're sometimes so convinced that that's going to happen anyway that I'm not going to pray about it. That, let's say 80-year-old Daniel, he, he knows, he says, I see it. And yet then the, in this very next breath, he prays for it. Very important. God, God ordains the ends, but he also ordains the means. Listen, as good, you know, stalwart Presbyterians, we get that first part very well. Yeah, God ordains the ends. We all believe that. We can get excited about that. We can... Go tell other people about that. But he also ordains the means. Ordinary people. 
going out with the love of God into the world. An old man refugee giving himself to prayer. He says, I know the end. I've already read it. 70 years. And then prayer. How long? Isn't that great? One last thing before the prayer itself. In verse 3, it says that Daniel turns his face upward toward God. He prays along with sack fasting, sackcloth, ashes. He, he's praying from a place of deep mourning. All these things are um, contrition. Daniel lived his life. He, he's, again, been a servant to a lot of kings, and yet his devotion is still to his God. This is very convicting. We have so much we could say about news, politics, crime, the lives of politicians, the lives of actors, actresses. Just so much going on in the world that it's hard to imagine humility like this. Right? When everything is about power, when everything is about success, when everything is defined for us by the things of the world, it's, it's hard to comprehend humility like this. Sackcloth, ashes, it's, it's a plea. He's begging God. I think prayer, especially prayer like this one, is the hardest thing we do in the Christian life. That requires brutal honesty. So we move from the context to the confession. Uh, the first thing we should note is Daniel knows the promises of God. He, he opens uh, talking uh, about God when he opens in prayer, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So many things to, to learn. Daniel begins by addressing God in adoration. The body of this prayer is going to be confession, then petition at the end. He says God is great. Then it says God is awesome, and that's a really weird uh, way to interpret it. It's uh, fearful. It's what the word actually is. God is fearful. You are, you are great. You are big, and you you make me afraid. That's what he's saying. That's the opening of his prayer. He's awesome. He's great. And then he keeps covenant. He keeps his covenant. He keeps his promises. He, he, he never, ever fails. Listen, we can, we can say this about nothing or no one else in life. He never fails. To some degree or another, everyone else and everything else will fail you. Daniel looks at God and says, you will not fail. You're great, you're awesome, and you keep your covenant. It's interesting, there are traces, uh, we won't track them down, but there are traces of this prayer in Deuteronomy, and also after this, uh, in Nehemiah. This prayer, what I want to say is, this prayer is fundamentally rooted in Scripture. We are right to pray, our Father in heaven good. We should do it. 
we're right to bring our prayer to God according to his character. We are right to praise him when we come to him for who he is and what he's done. We are to adore God in prayer. We are to rejoice over him in prayer. Even as we take the circumstances and our feelings to him, he never changes. We change. Do we realize who we're talking to when we pray? Do we take time to acknowledge that in Christ we have access to the one who spoke all things into existence and sustains all things? Daniel's prayer is the outworking of his covenant relationship with God. Do we know God like this? Even though he's about to confess his sin and national sin, he's coming to God first with, God, keep your promises. Acknowledging that God is the one who promised. From that introduction, we move to this confession. It's pretty remarkable. Um, Notice he brings his confession. I'm going to just talk about four major things that I see going on here. One, we have neglected your word. He says, turning aside from your commandments and rules, what a confession. Every single one of us here can make this confession. We have turned away from your rules and your commandments because one of us, not one of us here is righteous on our own. We have all sinned. Every single one of us. He's just taking that and again, going vertical. Something we know to be true. We have not kept your word. We have not kept your rules. Second, Daniel says that God's laws have been violated by doing what God has commanded not to do and also by not doing what God has commanded to do. In other words, he's confessing sins of omission as well as commission. He's saying to God this, we have done bad things. We have acted badly. This is like a proactive sin. But he says this, and this is another thing that gets woven through a lot of the prophets that, at least me, maybe you don't do this, I overlook, and that's sins of omission. Where God has told me what to do in my life by his word, and I don't do it. One is real obvious, like when you... Let's say you scream at a loved one in a, in a sinful way and you verbally abusive to them. Well, that's, that's, that's terrible, but that's, that's commission. That's something that you're doing. But what about when you take that same family member and you're not loving to them? You ignore them. Omission. It's harder to see. Like you can hear someone screaming in a sinful way, berating, belittling, but holding back. um, This is uh, all throughout the prophets. Justice, mercy, and humility. Yeah, you you guys are great at the sacrificial system. You've fired them up and you've treated people horribly. Yeah, you sacrifice all the lambs morning and evening. You've got that down great. And you treat widows with no justice. Daniel is confessing that exact reality. I would call this, um, 
So the, the third thing he, he addresses is pride. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside by refusing to obey your voice. Here he's saying this, you told us, you warned us, and we ignored you. We ignored you. That's pride. And again, this is convicting because how often do we do the same thing? We refuse to listen. Sometimes we even refuse to hear the, the good news the, of the gospel coming to us and being applied to us. Not going to listen. Refusal to listen. Fourth, he gets specific in his confession. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. He's remembering to himself, even as he confesses what God has done for them. Specifically saying, I, Lord, we, we get nothing but grace from you. you. You give us grace again and again and again, and we rebel again and again and again. In addition to these four things, he's also lamenting in verses 7 and 8. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, shame. Open shame as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, princes, our culture. And I had to do some reading about this. I want to be careful. Hates shame. And rightfully so, in a lot of ways, shame can be easily manipulated uh, to to crush, to wound, to, to destroy. I want to acknowledge that straight out. Hear me say that. It can be terrible. Being abused and being put down, being in inappropriate ways. However, that's not what is going on here. Daniel is saying we have violated you, our true and living God. We have broken your rules and now we are in open shame. We have lost our city. We have lost our homes. We have been dragged away from our families. We are in open shame. There is a good sense in which um, for those who violate God's laws, for, in our own lives, there is a sense in which God uses, rightfully so, shame to, to grow us and mold us, to shape us. Yes, there is an abusive sense in, in, in that, but there's also a good sense. And that's exactly what Daniel is saying to us. God belongs open shame. Why did he change and put on sackcloth and ashes? He knows the truth. We blew it. Listen, this is the honest Christian place before a holy God. The honest place is, this is all of us. This is us. We have defied God. We have sinned. 
When I started thinking about this, I thought about Christ coming to take our place. When I read this part about open shame, I thought about Jesus taken outside the camp, stripped naked, nailed to a wooden cross, and then hung in public display on the side of the road. He bore our shame. The guilt and shame that Daniel is confessing had a, a place that it was going to land. It was going to land in Christ who, who bore our shame. The gospel doesn't mean that we are sinless. It means that though we are guilty, yet we are loved. Though we are sinful, God sent forth His Son. Though we are clothed in darkness from our mother's womb, God sent forth the light of Christ into the world. We can learn lessons from this confession. Be specific. Live lives of repentance. Fly to Christ. There's another thing going on in here that I thought was interesting, and that is confession for corporate sin. He's not just confessing for himself. Time and time again, if you want, just go home and look at the plurals. He's confessing for the people. He's confessing for his brothers. He's confessing for others who have gone before and others that exist now and even others that are coming ahead. It's corporate in, in nature. Too often, I think we can be self-absorbed and ignore the problems going on around us. Here, I'll, so sometimes I think we laugh too much at other churches. I do, and I don't pray for them. I laugh at what is silly about them that is obviously patently not Presbyterian, right? But do I pray for them? There were, some, there were some terrible things going on in Israel and Judah and Daniel. He didn't spend a lot of time laughing about them or making fun of them. He confessed. Hey, if you catch me joking about another church, you can call me out. That's fine. Because I'm probably still going to do it. Some things are just funny. Do we pray for the wayward church? Do we pray for churches, Clint did today in the pastoral prayer, that the gospel would go out not just from grace prayers, but in our city? Do we pray? That's what Daniel is doing. He's looking at his community laid waste and ruins. He's, he's saying, God, look at your city, Jerusalem. It's terrible. And he prays. So we have the context of this prayer, we have the confession, now the concerns or the petitions that he would bring to God. It's, uh, it's really fascinating. Reading through this prayer, it's suddenly very clear that Daniel is not focused on himself. His petitions aren't 
him. It's, it's remarkable. 25 times in three verses, he references God. Look at the, you can look at it right now. Look at the frequency with which he references God 25 times, either by name, title, or pronoun. 25 in three verses. So his petition, when he takes his petition to God, when he is asking him, he is acknowledging this straight out of the gate. I can't accomplish this. I can't do it. You are going to have to be the one to do it. Listen, this is us. This is our position before God. We are powerless. If salvation is to be accomplished and our lives are to be transformed by the gospel into loving people, it's going to be his work. The first thing we notice here is that um, sinners don't need themselves. Sinners need God to act. We need for God to be decisive. And look at the concerns from beginning to end. It's, um, he's concerned with the glory of God. It's really fascinating. Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Do not delay for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. He's saying this is about you. This, this thing, uh, this desire for the church to, to shine and to be glorious glorifies God. It doesn't glorify individuals. When the church is really being the church, God gets glory. When we are believing the gospel and we are living it out in our lives, God gets glory. That's what Daniel is praying his prayer seeks for his glory. Sinclair Ferguson says this, quote, Daniel's prayer is an anatomy of a heart conscious of the glory of the Lord and wholly devoted to him. He appeals for mercy for the people because they bear God's own name, end quote. Can we say that of our own heart? Anatomy of a heart conscious of the glory of God. The whole prayer is that. Second petition for mercy in verse 17. Now therefore, O oh, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. One easy way to think about mercy as it's presented in Scripture is that with God withholds what is rightly deserved. He recalls this a couple of times in his prayer. And he also calls for grace. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolations of the city that's called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Not only is he asking for hostilities to cease between God and them, he's asking for them to be restored. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. He's asking for both. Be merciful, God. Stop the punishment. And be gracious. Don't, don't just stop hostilities. Take us back home. Take, we want to go home. Finally, Daniel asks, as he puts all this together, he says, 
in this kind of litany in the prayer in verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Forgiveness. What an incredible thing. Be merciful, Lord. Be gracious and forgive. How can we read something like this and not think about the Lord Jesus Christ who is the embodiment of this? The full answer and flower of Daniel's prayer is found in a person. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of mercy and of grace and of forgiveness. Jesus Christ is the restoration of broken and fallen humanity with a holy, utterly just and righteous God. Jesus Christ is the one who answers Daniel's prayer. In Christ, this mercy and grace come together in perfect forgiveness. Ephesians 1, in Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of His grace. Christ going to the cross, being laid low for us, is the embodiment of this cry, this plea for mercy. This cry, this plea for getting something that he did not, utterly did not deserve. And this, this cry, O oh Lord, hear, O oh Lord, forgive. Do these realities come together in your life? Honest confession. I'm glad that we do it every week as a church. We confess our sins and we're right to do so. Is that the only time you confess? But that doesn't need to ever exist on its own. It always needs to be tied to flying to Jesus. Mercy, grace, forgiveness. We're about to sing this together in just a minute. Comfort, comfort ye my people, speak ye peace. Thus saith our God, comfort those who sit in darkness, mourning neath their sorrows load. And then this part, speak to Jerusalem of peace that waits for them. Tell her that her sins I cover and that her warfare now is over. There's an answer to Daniel's prayer. It's Christ. This is the answer we get in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, giving us this prayer in your word. Would you shape us by it? Would we be molded um, into people who um, recognize your greatness, recognize what you have done? who are honest in confession and yet also fly to you for forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus who does just that. It's in his name we pray. Amen.